2: This is a crowd podcast.
0: The official sponsor of this episode is Steve Riley. To be more like Steve, go to patreon.com forward slash Joe show. Joe I'm kind of liking the show that we do It stimulates my brain, hope it's tickling you too Up to this point the reviews are okay We're rising to the top like a well-made souffle It's the Joe Marla Show Oh, whoa, oh, it's the Joe Marla Show Hello
2: and welcome to our show I'm Joe Marla and this is Tom
0: Fordyce Hello, Jojo. Hi. This is... uh, Hello, and welcome to our show. This is Tom
2: Fordyce, and I'm Joe. See, that that rhymes better.
0: It does, actually, yeah. Hey, Joe, do you know who our guest is this week?
2: I guess from the tone of your voice, and the fact that I've got the script in front of me, says that you're going to tell me. Who is it?
0: Joe, this week's guest is a historian.
2: Like, he's from the past? Like Doc Brown,
0: or... Well, he was born in the past, obviously. He's with us in the future. You love your history, don't you? You, You're a keen student of modern history. I'll be honest with you, Tom. I'm a history
2: buff, and it's something that I studied at A-level back at Sussex Downs College in Lewis. Can you guess what I studied at A-level, Tom?
0: Which three subjects, or which historical subjects? Four. Four. Pick your path. Four. Okay, well, one of the four was a general studies. Classic fourth.
2: I did modern history... I did psychology. Did you? I did human biology, mm. not animal biology. And I did PE. Did you? I studied them for approximately three months before <laughs> being turfed out of the tertiary.
0: <laughs> well, that's exciting news for me, Joe. I'm hoping that our guest today will talk about some of the stuff that you covered in your three months. By the way, we've had a message from Becky Rollable Dyson. And this right, this also works as a riddle. And it's a riddle, Joe. I'll be honest, I don't understand. Uh, Roland Dyson writes in to say, I have been in nine foreign international airports, but have only been on holiday abroad once. How, what? How has she been to... The
2: sea? Is she the sea? A mate of mine the other day, when I went swimming, socially distanced in the sea, he came out with something that said, imagine, like, the sea just travels to Chile or something. And I went, what do you mean, does it travel to Chile? He said, like you know one minute's here in eastbourne next minute it travels to chile <laughs> i went it's already in chile it's it's one big thing it doesn't go from like go here, here. he couldn't get his head round it and that's why i can't get my head round this riddle i've been in nine foreign international airports but i've only been on holiday in abroad once well
0: i will tell you what joe we'll keep that riddle from becky running uh, dilemma for you we've got a committee meeting this month for the people who bankroll this show joe Um, James Dean... Thought he was dead. Yeah, well, he's back from the dead, and he signed up to be a committee member. He signed up on the 4th of March. And Jimmy Dean asks, any chance I can get in the first committee meeting? I'm only a few days late. What do you think?
2: Do you think he'd still talk like that, even though he's been underground for the last 60-odd years? Surely it'd be a bit more dusty. Like, oh, any any chance I can get in on the first committee meeting? (coughs) I'm only a few days late. Ooh.
0: If it is James Dean and we don't let him in, we're bellends, aren't we? What? Imagine that treat for our fellow committee members. They turn up and then James Dean rocks up, the ghost of James Dean. Is James Dean... Am I getting this right? He
2: was an actor, wasn't
0: he? Actor, yeah.
2: Was he a race car driver?
0: No, you're thinking of Steve McQueen. Oh, bugger. James Dean was in Rebel Without a Cause and Giant.
2: No, that was Tom Hanks. <laughs>
0: He let, was enjoying. He was oh,
2: big. Oh, no, that was big. Right, let's get... Right, let him in. Let him in. Win, the more, the merrier. Um, so that'll take us up to nine people. So the more... Just let him in. I don't care if he's late. Fair play, James Dean. Thank you for signing up. I can't wait to meet you at the committee meeting.
0: Joe, we have some other news. Um, if you want this show without adverts, you can pay a pound a week. It is now advert-free on Patreon. So if you enjoy our adverts, nothing changes, it's all free. But if you want the show without adverts, go on Patreon and sign up for the lowest tier, which is a mere 4 pounds a month.
2: Oh, very reasonable that, Tom. All right, if you enjoy the show, why not pay 1 pound a week anyway? Just grow it. Just fucking give me a pound a week. I either want a pound in cash or I'll take a pound of ether, I'm trying to get into ether at the ether, Ethereum, ether crypto at the moment. Or I'll take a pound of flesh. So if you enjoy the show, I want either a pound of your sterling, a pound of your ether, or a pound of your flesh. And to me, that's a bargain. It's a bargain. Just fucking, let's get a guest on. (laughs) Let's get a guest on. Let's get a guest on. Our guest today is a historian, and his name is Dan Snow.
1: Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. Right. So first of all, you've got a really nice voice. I think you've got a lovely voice, but you, you know, you've got a, you, I'm working on my voice. It's a little bit too high. I want to have a bit, de- you know, a bit more depth to it. Well, it's your
2: voice. You can do whatever you want with your voice. You can project it. You can make it really quiet, or you can make it posher, or more common. Do you know what I mean, mate? I oh, you fuck off, fucking mug. Sorry, too far. I, just, I got carried away into act. Tom, what about your voice? Because your kids, they're very northern but you're not northern in the slightest.
0: Yeah, so we moved up to the north, Joe, when Arthur was about six months old, and he's possibly bilingual, because he speaks to me like a southern and he speaks to his mum like no, a northern. that's yeah. brilliant. And words that he uses with his scouse granddad come out of scouse, so he will talk about cars. Cows? Cars. Cars? Yeah, cars. cars. It's cars. I speak oh.
1: scouse, Joe. I speak scouse, Joe. Don't worry about it. Joe, would you swap for... Dan's
0: voice, if you got the chance, if there was a, a feasible way of you two-swapping voice, would you take that? 100%. And I
2: think it is doable because I once saw Face Off. Of course. And they changed faces and voices. And so my my view is if it's happened in a film, whenever my, my wife turns around to me and goes, well, that's not true. It's just in a film. I went, yeah. But if someone's thought of it for a film, it means it's definitely happened in the world. <laughs> and she's like, that's a really weird way to look at things because just look at, The human centipede.
1: I was going to use that example, Joe, but I was thinking also of the destruction of Alderaan by the Death Star. As far as I'm aware, there's been no massive Uh, starships blowing up planets.
2: uh, But you have got as much proof to prove against me as I have to prove against you. Oh, here we
1: go. I like, okay, here we go. (laughs) It might have done. It might have done. You're right. In a galaxy far, far away a long time ago. If
2: a tree falls in the Amazon, does that mean you can't hear it? Sort of, Joe. You've mangled that
0: slightly, but yeah, I know, I know the point you were trying to make. <laughs> it feels like we've inadvertently stumbled here, Dan, into, into one of the central controversies of history. Like, it could be possible that Alderaan has been blown up by the Death Star, but because there's no Alderanians around to provide testimony to it, because they were blown up, and then ultimately the emperor and his cohorts were beaten by the rebels, maybe they didn't get the chance to write that history either.
1: You know what, that's a really good point, and that's why we used to talk about historians don't anymore. They talk about the dark ages after the Romans left Britain and things got a little dark. To be honest, I, I'm not, I don't mind that expression because it was a bit dark. There was a lot of pandemic disease, a lot of climate change, a lot of people getting killed, complete breakdown of society, but no one wrote any of it down. So basically, we don't know a huge amount about what happened. So... The big lesson from history, is, as all these Instagrammers today know, post it or it didn't happen. Picture it didn't happen, right? It says, if it's not on YouTube or it's not on Instagram, I don't care if you saw a great sunset and you had a beer and you're with all your hot mates. <laughs> it didn't happen. It didn't happen. So that is the essential lesson from history. And which means Joe is right. You know, maybe, maybe once a planet was destroyed by a, a starship. But if there's no chroniclers around, that's why you've always got to be careful with your spin doctors. Always keep your chronicler handy. Keep them close. I have no
2: fucking idea how you managed to segue from the bollocks that we were talking at the start (laughs) to actually getting around to the first question of what
1: in the heck does a heck who the fuck says heck i can imagine that playing the all blacks at a particularly gritty moment in some right rolling morning you're like oh heck (laughs) <laughs> oh,
2: hey I find doing a Kiwi accent really difficult, actually. The, the Australian one's really easy because it's like, harsh, mate, and you just extend everything. Mate, you just, yeah, mate. Eh. And more often than not, if you drop a certain C word on the end of things, you're automatically Australian because that's what they do. Whereas the Kiwi seem to, it's the same, but not, it's, de- oh, mate, you want fush, you want some fush. Fush, fush and chups. You want yes.
0: some fush and chups. You, Joe, you have to shorten everything up a little bit, like like your lip stain move, like your Avantula Christzemi, and then it comes out a bit more clipped, like a kiwi.
1: There's a, there's a. You're hovering towards a South African there, buddy. But I know you're in the right, you're in the right balls. It slips that bullseye. way. It does I slip I, that way, Dan. Right, I yeah. eat,
2: I eat plankton. I eat plankton. Do you? Plankton. What do, what do <laughs> plankton. you eat? Plank, uh, plank, that. Do, you're right. It's all yeah, Anyway, anyway, back to the point, Dan. What do you do apart from all your podcasts and all your TV programs that I've seen?
1: What is the job of a historian? Um, I have written I have written proper history books in the past, and what you do is you go and sit in a library and you look at all the sources and you try and work out what they all happened uh, to a lot of people who've been dead for a long time. And so some people find that, like I see from your face, Joe, you're finding you think, well, is that a good way to spend your time? But the answer is it is. It's quite important. But but now what I do is I basically talk to the world's best historians. I've worked. I've sh- I've basically got a life hack, which is I get all the world's best historians on my podcast. And I just ask them what happened, and then I pretend that that I know all the answers, um, having asked them. But that's, so yeah, that's why it's do. They work out how we got to where we are today. What on earth has happened that landed us up in this shit show today? <laughs> why are you sitting in the back of your car in the rain with Odie talking nonsense to these three other blokes? Like what is, why, why? And the answer lies in the past. Somebody came up to you at some stage with a brilliant bloody idea of starting a podcast. And you very foolishly said yes.
2: I actually think that I, I disagree with that, which is important because there are so many disagreements on historical events. I disagree. The reason I'm sat in my van in the rain in a hoodie talking to three somewhat intelligent uh, life forms is because someone in Wuhan in a uh, lab or a wet market, I can't make up my mind which one it is yet because of all the stories that are being told, made up a virus and now we're in lockdown 10 or something, whatever it is. And that's my version of history of what how I got here. But your version was different. And Tom, I'm guessing yours is probably going to be different as well.
0: I feel I have to represent Joe here, who has uh, an instinctive mistrust of most people. What if those sources are incorrect? Or what if those sources are based on a partial reading of something that really went on? So if we were going to... Like someone listening to this this shambles of a podcast were to write an account of it, then it might be totally different to the account that another listener writes. So if you're sitting down in the library in 100 years' time and for some ridiculous reason have decided to write a history of, of shambolic
1: podcasts, how do you know that the source is true? You don't. That's what's joyful. And that's why Joe is absolutely right to be skeptical. What history should teach you is not to believe any old bullshit you're told. My crazy Brexit uncle on Facebook has got this chat about it being created in a lab in Wuhan. Where's your evidence, crazy Facebook Brexit uncle? Where is it? I, I need it. That's what, that's history is basically History is strengthening for your critical facilities of your mind, right? So you go, yeah, I'm not a mug. You've got to tell me what is the reason that you want to enact this policy, do this thing, make that decision, right? And, and I don't believe anything I'm being told because you're completely right. We've got no idea what was going through Julius Caesar's head. We've got one source. Actually, Julius Caesar wrote about himself. So a lot of it basically comes from Julius Caesar's own autobiography. I mean, how can we believe that? And it's 2,000 years ago. So that's what historians do. They try and find whatever. You're always looking for evidence. You're always, oh, look, there's a little source here no one's ever noticed before. There's a little mention of Julius Caesar in that source. That's quite important. That's good. That shows that he was in that place at that time he says he was. You're always, always, always trying to piece together what the hell has gone on. And it's always going to be a completely incomplete picture. I don't really know how I got to where I am today, and I was there for most of it. So how am I supposed to know what happened 500 years ago? Julius
2: Caesar. Julius. Julius, yeah. Caesarean section. Is that where that comes from?
1: Yes. First baby to survive a Caesarean section, as we understand it. Yeah, named after him. Yeah, yeah. Really?
2: How on earth have they performed a Caesarean section 2,000
1: years ago? Well, I can tell you, mate, it would have been uncomfortable, wouldn't it? I mean, it's. I I imagine there were a lot of... um, big knives i mean i don't, it's brad how do you think it's not good man there's no like there wasn't any special t- they weren't all like you know like suckling on a bit of honeysuckle and then just doing it all by you know homeopathy it was bad it was mechanical i'm so glad
2: that that's actually true because i've been telling my wife that that's what a c-section is named after and she's like you're full of shit and i went well now i've got a source." You've got me a source, up.
1: mate. you got a source. But hopefully, if she's a historian, she'll say, where's the evidence, mate? Where's the evidence? The Latin word, I think, for Caesarean, it comes from the word to cut open as well. So it could just be that it's, you know, to cut open. But the the word on the street is it's, that is Caesar was the first child born from a Caesarean. Can I ask you about some
0: other misconceptions in history, Dan? So uh, there's two in particular. The first one is that Harold, at the Battle of Hastings, dies because he gets an arrow through his eye. Yeah. Is there something about on the bio Tapestry where the words go round the top where weirdly the words like double up over a certain section and people now think that Harold just died in the battle it wasn't an arrow through the through the eye which did it.
1: It's very like that there is a sense that during some cleaning process or some something going on the Victorians they might have like the words might not refer to the guy with the actual arrow in the eye. There was a story well known about at the time that someone got shot by an arrow in the eye in the Bible. And he was an oath breaker. So that was what you did to oath breakers. You got shot in the eye. So that it would be a kind of allegory. So look here. Everyone is a story you've all heard of. The guy get. Harold got shot in the eye because he broke his oath, right? Because he took the crown. What's more likely is there's another source about the battle which is more reliable but not a on a written source that says Harold was actually killed by a death squad of Roman knights led by William the Conqueror himself which may not be true. But they, and they looked for him because you're standing underneath your banner and those medieval battles are all about decapitation. You just go for the leader. So like Henry IV, the Battle of Shrewsbury. He, had, he was a good one. Henry IV... Had a load of people dressed up like him at the Battle of Shrewsbury and one or two of them actually got killed. So they're like, hey, we the king. Smart. Oh, very
0: smart. Yeah, wow. very smart.
1: Wow. Yeah. So, so, But it was all about find the leader and get them, get, kill them, and then we're done. So Harold, so William charged into the line in the afternoon of Hastings and and cut Harold to pieces. That, like, a, a special elite death squad. That, I think, is what historians now think actually happened rather than the old bear, tapestry arrow in the eye. But, I mean, that is a, just a can of heart. That's a small hill that I'm not ready to die on, buddy. Every battle there always is. And
2: every movie that I watch, basically, that's my knowledge of history. Like you've just described, Dan, is if you kill the leader, then it just, oh, well, he's dead, so we'll just all go home. We'll all we'll just, that's it now, thingy. And I'm like, well, no, hang on a minute. So that, does that mean you lot on this in the blue corner, being led by Captain Blue, don't actually believe in Captain Blue's ideologies, and that as soon as he's dead, you just go, oh, fuck it. I just think it's cowardly. They should have just carried on fighting until there's majority rule rather than just the leader's dead
1: (laughs) well that's what makes you an international rugby player whereas i think you know i'd be very happy to run away as soon as the some (laughs) twat who told me to get pick up a sword and march off because his cousin had nicked his throne i'd be like all right mate i'll i'll tell you what i'll until you're dead i'll pretend to fight but then the minute you're gone i'm going home so uh yeah no it's funny isn't it i think that uh, there's another you raise a really important point there which is wars seems to have changed as people have developed a kind of consciousness, like a national consciousness, so in a citizen army where people are like voters and they're well-informed, they're educated, they're like, no, this is our fight, man. We're into it. Like, we're going to beat the Nazis. We're going to fight them all. In a war where you're just basically an illiterate peasant and someone marches to your village and said, you're coming with me, mate. And you're like, listen, pal, all right, but I mean, I'm not into your, I'm not like super excited by the Plantagenet claim for the throne here. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, it, But but in a war where it's like, this is about the unificate, like the French, the Germany's invading France, like the 1870s and the French national anthem and Arise, citoyen, blah, blah, blah. So war does kind of change and people get a bit more, basically kind of radicalised, they buy into it a bit more. So that's a long answer. But the but there was, in the Anglo-Saxon period, Joe, you'll be glad to hear, that there was a group of housecarls who were the household warriors, elite warriors of Harold and his, his like senior commanders. And they said, we don't leave the battlefield if the king doesn't. And so they stood and they fought to the last man and they were cut down. That was their that was their rule. They, there was no honour if they left what, the battlefield. What were they called?
2: The housecarls. Ah, the housecarls. I want to be a bit yeah, housecarl. You do, man. Yeah, I love the way that you casually just described, I know it was in passing, Dan, but... You went, oh, I wanted to nick my cousin's crown and my sister and all that. lot. Basically, a lot of history and a lot of wars and, and feuds are just family falling outs, aren't they? Why is there so much fucking incest in <laughs> historical stories? The more digging I've done, I'm like, this is ridiculous. And basically, you break it down. It's like he doesn't like him. She doesn't like her he doesn't like her, and I'm just going to chop off people's heads for fun.
1: Yeah, I think I think that it is true that in, like, certainly if you look at the medieval period, a lot of it is just, yeah, family. So a terrible civil war in England known as the Anarchy. I mean, that's a good name for a war. It was given a few years, a few centuries later, but the Anarchy is between... King Stephen and his cousin Matilda—that that was just pure and simple—about which of those two cousins would wear the throne. The War of the Roses, straightforward uh, cousins fighting over the throne, and uh, so that wasn't—that wasn't. Yeah, no, amazingly, it wasn't just about floristry. Well, um, that's what
2: there's shit, though, isn't it? Because that—that's like when they advertise something and it's fraud. What is it? Tom, help me out here, please. Fraudulent advertising? (laughs) Fraud (laughs) adverts? (laughs) You know, when they say, oh, this is the best cup of coffee in the world, and it's like, well, no, it's not, because it tastes like shit and you've just lied. So they're, they're lying. And when you tell me the War of the Roses, I go, well, they're fighting over roses or they're using roses as their weapons. So why have they called it War of the Roses then? There needs to be a better name for that fucking war.
1: It's quite hard to call wars things when they're just arguing about some stupid shit like who should be on the throne like it's easier to go this is the war of Austrian succession in the 18th century because you're literally fighting over you know the Austrian throne when it's just two cousins going at it you're like how do we even what are we going to call this war? It's an absolute nightmare.
0: The wars Dan, that we know as certain things now were they known as those wars at the time? That the War of Austrian Succession is everyone marching off going. I really fancy this War of Austrian Succession. <laughs>
1: yeah. uh, no, you know what? The no, we tend to the names tend to change. In fact, we you know that we call the First World War the Great War. In fact, we don't as much anymore. We people used to call it the Great War. They used to call the Napoleonic Wars the Great War. So it just goes to show that everything is a great war until it's taken over by a greater one, unfortunately. Okay, what about it just came
2: up in one of my researches that I've done here. What about this? It's something to do with Austria. I'm going to go with the Battle of Karansabes. Karansabes. Hang on, I've got to get my Austrian out. How's it? No, that's South African. Uh, pretend you're skiing. Shh. I uh, want some apple spritzer, yeah? Hi, hey, you want some apple spritzer, yeah? So this is the Battle of Carancebis in 1788. Have you heard of it? I
1: don't think I have heard okay,
2: of it. Okay, this is no. good news. Then it means I get to describe it, what it is. And I don't know why I've gone Jamaican and I'm skiing. <laughs> I'll just do it in my normal voice for now, but I can't pronounce it. It's the Battle of Carancebis, which is in 1788 in Austria. Basically, there was loads of these, uh, there was this massive army. And half of them got re- went and got really drunk and <laughs> and they didn't share the booze and the fun that they were having. So then loads of in-house fighting went on and
1: 10,000 soldiers died. No. It's either absolutely brilliant or it's absolute bollocks. It wouldn't surprise me, especially Austria, the Austrian Empire was full of units who couldn't even speak the same language. So I think they'd have been as happy to fight each other as, as as some other enemy. But there was an a event known as the Battle of Los Angeles in early 1942, after Pearl Harbor, February 1942. And the they thought the Japanese were attacking Los Angeles after Pearl Harbor. And so they started firing all their anti-aircraft guns in the air and, and announced a full Japanese. And all these... Some people got killed because of all the anti-aircraft guns that were then... All these shells were then landing on people in Los Angeles. And everyone was like, the Japanese are coming! They're blasting away into the sky and it was all firing guns into the sky. And it was there was no one there. No Japanese at all. It was just complete, complete bollocks. There was was no, it? A, it was just a false alarm. <laughs> what? They just started in massive. They just kicked off massively. I think there might have been a weather balloon or something. But anyway, there's basically a false alarm. Tom, we've got a question
2: from Paul. And he says, I'm currently working at Thornbury Castle on the refurbishment project. Uh, what's the most interesting slash gruesome Henry VIII fact you can give us, Dan or Tom?
1: I'd
0: start with Dan, I
1: think. Oh. I well I'm glad you say that, Tom, because I think I've only got one particularly gruesome fact about him, which you probably got as well, so I'm getting ahead of you. But uh, he suffered this disgusting like wound to his leg while he was jousting. Within four so he goes from being this kind of athletic young man and within four years his thirty two inch waist has gone to fifty two inches. Uh, and by the time he's died, he's obviously kind of a you know, he's just more morbidly obese and, and lame because of this terrible, terrible sort of suppurating wound that wouldn't heal. And it's said it's said that when they put him in his coffin he burst you burst burst well like 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 pop like yeah
2: pop pop that's what i mean buddy pop oh like that elephant there was this channel 4 program where they did like a circle of life program in africa where they this elephant had died of natural causes and they moved it and put it in this part of the wilderness and they set up all these cameras night vision cameras and they just filmed this elephant decaying over time and it crept up with all the animals that would go into it and all that lot. And then there was this one night when the hyenas turned up Oh yeah, and they're starting gnawing at all the bits that are decaying. And one of the dirty bastards has gone to gnaw at his butthole and you go, Oh God, please no, please no. And then this Henry the eighth popping is just reminding me of this. So his rectum slash anus expands like a balloon and he carries on chewing it. And then out of nowhere it pops and this hyena shits himself excuse the pun actually that was good that was quite a good pun and then runs off and that is now what i'm imagining henry the doing in his coffin God. but kind of giving less back to the community than
1: that elephant did yeah at least the elephant's feeding he's feeding the lads isn't
2: he i've done some research tom on henry the i don't know if you have because do yes, please don't
1: take this as seriously
2: as i do <laughs> but i want to know whether these are true or false in some of the, he was never meant to be king. His he had a brother, did he? Called Arthur.
1: Yeah, but older brother called
0: Arthur. Yeah. Didn't he take his? Wasn't she going to be Catherine? Was going to be Arthur's wife. That's right. They
2: were Catherine's that Catherine be. was Arthur's wife. <gasps> and then he and then he died at fifteen, and he nicked his wife, which is ridiculous. He had a sadistic love of beheadings. However, that was not his favourite way to execute people. His favourite way was called pressing. He'd put the victim. Under a plank of wood or slab of concrete, I'm guessing. And then would slowly put more and more weight on it. Not his weight. He wouldn't wouldn't bother, but do you know what I mean? Slowly. And until they popped. What? Um, Yeah, so popped is a theme, actually, through here. Um, What else have we got on him? Um, He beheaded a nun, which was out of order. The nun of Kent. And she was the only woman to be beheaded and then have her head put on a spike. Up until that time,
1: he he was often criticised. He it had uh, a sixty-seven-year-old woman, Margaret Pole, one of his no distant cousins. Uh, he had her. He had her executed, which felt a bit uh, unnecessary. I mean, I think a sixty-seven-year-old woman wasn't a great particular threat to him by that stage. Well, it depends so, what she'd so. done, though, Dan. Well, she was Catholic. Oh, that was it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I thought she tried assassinating him with something no 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 she just didn't she yeah and he was nervous he he basically tried to kill m- most of his um plantagenet cousins who secretly had a better claim to the throne than he did he was a bit touchy about that was he i mean she's done well to get
0: to 67 in that era so i think if i was henry even if i felt threatened i'd be like realistically she's not getting far past 70 let's let natural causes take this one is it true that
2: before marrying anna Cleves, he didn't meet her but he insisted on sending someone over to paint a picture of her because he didn't want to marry a Minga, yeah and then they brought the portrait over she was gorgeous but then when he actually met her in person he was like oh bloody hell she's not she's not for me she this does not bloody work and then he was like
1: i don't want you anymore i think that is correct basically yes uh, but that you know that wasn't that unusual uh there was a lot of um i think it was king athelstan of england sent his two sisters over to europe and just sent them in to the king of the Franks and said, "You know, you sort of um, you choose the one that you fancy, really." Um, and so I think, yeah, things were a bit superficial back then.
0: Is what we're saying, Joe, that Anne of Cleves? She was an oil painting, but also she was no oil painting. Is that what we're saying?
1: <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Oh, really watch good. out!
0: Oh, Tom. watch out! You are <laughs> oh, you're some is... <laughs> so, you're some sort of professional
2: wordsmith, aren't you? Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> this is ludicrous from you. Is it true?
1: Um, his last words were "monks, monks, monks." Oh yeah, that's what I've always heard. I'm not sure if it's true, but that's what I've always heard. That is the story. Yeah. What could that have been? Why didn't he like monks so much? Well, because he turfed a lot of monks. Because when he when he dissolved, when he got rid of the monasteries, they were full of monks. He turned he turned them out. He gave you know they were given a pension and things, but they were turned out. And it was always said how cruel he was turning all these poor old monks out, and making them get real jobs and things. And and I think he uh, was in his head, he was always like, oh god, the bloody monks. They'll all curse me and I'll go to hell when I'm dead. He's probably starting to freak out about that.
0: Does he know those are his last words? Does he have some sort of countdown clock in his head which goes, Henry, you've got 10 seconds, shoot. Or were there several other comments he wanted to make after monks? But unfortunately, he just ran out of time. If
2: I had some last words, I would choose my last words. And even if I knew, like, you kind of know, I'm guessing you kind of know when the time is nigh. Does nigh mean near in history talk? Nigh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, so okay, good. The time is nigh. And I would choose my words like, my wife, I, I love you. And then I would also have a list of people that I dislike where I'd go, I don't like you, but I forgive you. I don't like you, but I forgive you. I don't like you, but I forgive you. And if I know the end is nigh and I've got an hour left, I'd say them first and then I'd pretend to be dead for the next... Fifty-five minutes, but so I could hear all of them. Oh, you know, you hear. Oh, thank fuck, he's gone. Do you, do you know what I mean? But I'm, but I'm, I'm pretending. I'm like, I'm dead. I'm like, I'm gonna die in fifty-five minutes. But like...
1: the famous last lines is a bit of a thing in the history world, and one of my favourites is um, an American general at the Battle of Spotsylvania Courthouse. It's a weird name battle during the American Civil War. He's called uh, John Sedgwick, and he famously went, "They couldn't hit an elephant at this distance." <laughs> <laughs> as he was saying distance a sniper's bullet smashed into his skull and killed him instantly (laughs) do you think that's true or just someone's come up with a
2: really funny way of uh... yeah it's a really funny no that
1: is true because that's my that's recent enough for us to have a bit you know a few different people all telling us the same story um what's the best example of history repeating itself we've had mad narcissist wannabe dictators calling the press enemy of the people before we've had Mad, narcissist, wannabe dictators trying to shut down elections, trying to shut down people criticising him. You know, people with pandemics have you know, people saying, oh, God, you know, wearing masks, doesn't know I'm just going to go out and shake hands with everyone and just get on with it. It's all ridiculous. That happened 100 years ago in the great pandemic of 1918, 1919. A lot of the same stuff happened. So people not listening to scientists. You know, hist- history kind of really repeats itself all, all the time. That's what makes us human. We're all, we're humans. We do the same stuff. We fall in love. We fall out. Fall in love with someone else. Smash our whole lives up. But what, if one of the big things about history is, is
2: learning from history, learning from the past, so that we don't make the same mistakes moving forward, why the fuck do we not listen to it and we keep making the same mistakes moving forward?
1: Well, that's the that's the $100 million question, right? And it's like, why, if we know all this stuff now, I've written it down, there's all these books that you can read about the First Second World War, so why on earth do we allow the same things to happen? And the answer is, because sometimes it's just part of our human nature, it's just very difficult to stop. You know, if... It's just quite hard to stop someone standing on a stage and promising lots of desperate people loads of great solutions if only they vote for him. You know the fact that it's all bollocks is neither here nor there. It's quite hard to. What stage do you just intervene and arrest that person on that stage going shut it, talking absolute <laughs> nonsense? So, so by the same. So some things are really annoyingly enduring. Like it is really annoying that we still have these problems with the people that rule us, and they don't fucking behave themselves, and they tell lies all the time, and they enrich their mates, and they're just a pain in the ass. Having said that. We do actually, we have learned a ton from history. And that's why we, we're all talking using the interweb, looking at each other with these lovely cameras, talking on these microphones for a podcast. And that's why we're not all like eating berries, like, wandering around in our caves, like chasing the caribou around, right? So human beings have been around for 200,000 years. And in the course of that, we have we have learned things. We've we put a little couple of rovers on Mars. like we, we do amazing things. Most people now in the world expect to die of old age in their beds. You know, that's an amazing thing. We're not, We're not going to get bludgeoned to death by your you know someone who's sort of passing by and and having a little dispute over food or whatever or or women or whatever so we we have built this amazing society as far as we know it the most complex society that has ever existed on any planet ever apart from Alderon. so so we have learned we've built on the success of previous generations but some things just difficult to sort and they're often to do with us because we're just emotional weirdos who often we kind of want people to lie to us and we want we want to believe in things, and we get upset, we get crazy, we want to do... What we should do is not have... We should, do, we should have leaders, leaders are ridiculous, we should have a committee that sorts everything out in a really boring way and just grinds it out. But no, we want people standing on stage with flags and music and voting and promises to change everything. It's like we, you know, we're humans.
0: <laughs> We've had, uh, Dan, a number of questions about the Romans. This seems to be one of the most popular topics amongst our listeners. The first of these questions is a apparently straightforward one from Theo. How long did it actually take to build Rome?
1: So I think the, the answer is actually less about the city itself because, and more about the empire because, that, you know, it's a Rome, the Roman Empire stretched from briefly down to the Persian Gulf all the way to Scotland. And so I think people in the Victorian, like in the old days, used to go, oh, Rome, oh, if Rome wasn't built today. You know, what an amazing achievement that was. So the answer is basically the Rome starts around 750 BC, 750 years before uh, Jesus was born. And then it sort of messes about as a little city-state fighting all the other Italians and then it kicks off and becomes a kind of European global superpower around 100, 200 BC and then it lasts until barbarians conquer the Western Empire in 400, 450, 500 AD. So that's your span. And then the Eastern Roman Empire lasts until 14, 1400, 1450. So, you know, lasts a long time. You have an absolute plethora of knowledge and it's it's really
2: enjoyable. However, (laughs) however, here we go. If history is meant to be factual or scientific or based on knowledge that's been passed down, why do you use the term BC? Are you telling me that Christ was real?
1: Yeah, I think the BC is a big one within history. See, Joe, you're you're hitting all the major hot topics within history at the moment. So a lot of what what people often say now is BCE before the Christian era, and then CE in the Christian because. We realistically, we're not going to invent another calendar, right? We're not we're not going to go all crazy and be like, let's just date it from the old, the first pyramid being built. But North Korea have created their own calendar. Yeah. And it is the year
2: a hundred Tom, do you remember this from the documentary club we did? What was it? Hundred and nine. Yeah,
0: when did they start it? When did they start it from, Joe? It was They
2: started from the birth date of Kim Il Sung, yeah, the first, the founding. So they're, they're in the year 109 apparently. Yeah, so you prob- you could restart born the calendar born about
1: 1910 or something. Yeah, you could. Okay. No, you could restart the calendar. The French uh, revolutionary that they tried to start the calendar in the French Revolution. I mean, restarting the calendar kind of. It makes sense, right? It makes sense. Well, it just makes it as as, a, as an as an atheist myself. I agree. I'm I'm an atheist as well. And I, f- I do find it very weird. I agree. So the French in French Revolution they called it the Year One of Liberty, 1789. Year One of Liberty, then Year Two, Year Three, and they say it in American accent. <laughs> they did not say in American accent. No, they didn't. <laughs> I'm talking obviously about when uh, Thomas Jefferson was the ambassador over there. But uh, no, yeah. So they had a, they went for it, mate. They went for it, <laughs> and I kind of think that's kind of cool. that They went for it, but. Yeah, so it's a tricky one. I, I, no, I completely agree with that. No, we, but we think Jesus, they think Jesus lived. But, you know, where, where everyone disagrees is that he was not, he didn't have magical powers, and he was the son of God. That's the old, that's the, that's the rub.
0: Big topics today, Joe, big topics. And here's, here's another one. This is a question from Steve Boyle, and he asks, who are your three favourite Roman emperors?
1: This is the kind of chats that us history geeks have down the pub. It's great. You know, who are your three favourite Roman emperors? And, and no one judges you. It's a safe space. No one will judge you. You see, Joe is looking perturbed here. I would have to say, I mean, there's the classic period of the Roman emperors. You're kind of Hadrian's... Your tra- Trajan is this like out-and-out mentalist warrior who expands the own Empire probably to its greatest extent. Your Hadrian and your Antoninus Pius are kind of... Well, Hadrian was pretty violent, but the idea was that you're kind of there a bit more... Antoninus Pius did a bit more peaceful, kind of just running the empire at its peak, totally just knocking along... Uh, Marcus Aurelius, everyone knows from Gladiator, was, was hard to beat as an emperor. I've got a little sneaking respect for Heraclius, who's much later on. He actually gets he lost lots of provinces of the Roman Empire to the force of Islam when they burst out of the desert of what is now Saudi Arabia. But he was a great emperor because he saved he saved the emperor from destruction against the Persians. Amazing stuff. You know, one Roman Emperor was um, caught by the Persians in battle. He was kept as a slave, and then when he died, he was stuffed and used as a footstool.
0: So Nero Am I right in thinking that Nero poisoned his stepbrother, killed his mum, and then did he chop his wife's head off and then give it to his girlfriend?
1: I think those are true. Uh well they're certainly what the sources say. The source is not very friendly towards Nero, but they he he didn't I think he didn't just poison his brother his uh, stepbrother. I think he might have done even worse things for him. But uh yeah, so he was wrong and he tried to kill his mum several times, once in a collapsing boat. What about
2: Vitellius? He was he was also up there with some of the best.
1: Yeah, there were the year were the four emperors: Galba, Otho, Vitellius, and Vespasian. I love it's great names. But uh, yeah, Vitellius was—I mean, he only ruled for about a few weeks, mate. To be honest, so um, why he didn't get much chance to because he was knocked off by uh, by Vespasian. Basically, after Nero, the empire kind of fell into a period of civil war, and so Vitellius was emperor for a few. I think it was a few months actually. I'm being I'm, I'm being mean to him, but he uh, he didn't last. Because once you start killing emperors and taking the throne, you know, it's open season. So one of these tough generals, Vespasian, just marched on Rome and beat Vitellius and, and had him executed. So I, I sort of listened to
0: these stories of these Roman emperors and I find myself wondering what sort of Roman emperor you would be. Alagabalus, is that right, Dan? Alagabalus? Alagabalus?
1: Elagabalus. Oh yeah, Elagabalus. Yeah, definitely. Oh, uh, yeah. Tom, how could you not get the pronunciation right? Uh, Elagabalus is um obviously one of the, pretty much the worst emperor there ever was probably. But Tiberius, who was the second emperor, he used to his little thing to get off on was he'd swim around in his swimming pool in Capri and sons of noble houses would swim underneath the water and nibble on his genitals as he swam. What?
2: Jesus Christ. This lot mm. used to d- I tell you what, history is fucked. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Enough about the Romans, because uh, we've got to get some ads in, of course, and also another little historical fact that I found, and it's modern history. This is the the tale of Fat Finger, the Fat Finger trade, and its modern history because it was in two thousand and five, and we had a Japanese trader who cost his company that he worked for a hundred and ninety million pound. What? Yep and that is because he sold 610,000 shares of the company for one yen instead of one share for 610,000 yen. So uh, he balls that one up pretty big. Here are some ads. This episode is sponsored by Wiley Old Fox. Dave
0: Wiley. Thank you, Dave. Dave. We're sponsored by super skin Matthew Ruskin. The most romantic thing Matthew's ever done is to carry a helium rainbow unicorn balloon around Winter Wonderland. Hello
2: to official sponsor Greg. The Eagle. Edwards. And
0: Tom. And my first whistle. Anderson. A few more official sponsors here. Mighty Alex Myatt. Alex likes scrambled eggs and lives in East Sussex. And Sam Williams, who lives just a couple of miles from Licky End. (laughs) And our final official
2: sponsor this week, Just George. His favourite tree is mahogany. And his favourite TV show is It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia.
0: To be more like George, Alex, Sam, Greg, Tom, Matthew and Dave, go to patreon.com forward slash Joe Show. And grow the show. Over the centuries, the world's greatest wordsmiths have crafted the most beautiful sentences ever written. Shakespeare. Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Austin.
2: There is no charm equal to tenderness of heart.
0: And Jermaine Pennant. I pulled two
2: birds and I went home, which is nearly a proverb. (laughs) Hello and welcome to the Football Book Club podcast, the only book club that's less Charles Dickens, more Paul Dickop. And you can listen to our brand new series right now by searching Football Book Club wherever you get your podcasts.
0: So those were the
2: ads. Uh, Joe, you've got a question, I believe. One of my favourite things to talk about is um, not that, it's uh, museums and the fact that they've got all this historical shit in it. and it doesn't belong to them or does belong to them or who it does and who it doesn't belong to and was it stolen? Was it gifted? Was it... Did it just appear? What's the crack with museum artefacts? Is it loot? Has it been looted or...?
1: A lot of it's loot. Uh, A lot of it's captured on the battlefield, stolen, um, bought at knockdown prices. Sort of the Egypt stuff not technically stolen but they went there at a time when the Egyptians didn't really give a toss about all these old massive old stone statues lying around and Europeans would just turn up and be like I'll give you a fiver for that and they take it so it's a whole mixture mate it's everything on the spectrum from fair and square purchased with a nice proper invoicing process to ripped off a wall during the uh, vicious conquest of Burma or Tibet or when the Brits destroyed the the finest palace in China um, their sort of summer palace just outside Beijing and it was just ripped to pieces for days. They stole everything that could move. They set fire to the rest of it. And they brought back a little Pekinese dog, and for Queen Victoria, and she called it Luti. Ah, oh, is this the one she used to keep up her sleeve?
0: Now, hang on, did that was the Pekinese dog? <laughs> wow. Great. I heard this thing once that the Pekinese dog is the shape it is because the Chinese emperors used to keep it keep them up their sleeve. Oh,
1: well, that might be right. As yeah, a little, little attack
0: dog, it was like if you had nothing else left, give me your guns or swords, whatever. All right, and then
1: whoosh, out of your sleeve. <laughs> Crikey, that's a good story. Check that one out.
0: <laughs> why, have
2: I, why have I got written the Mountain of Light diamond from Delhi down here? I don't know why I've written that down.
1: Oh, the koh noor Yeah, that was nicked. Yeah, yeah. What was it called? Koh-i-Noor, I think. Part of that's made its way into the old uh, crown jewels. And that has got a brutal history of basically taken from uh, the subcontinent in dodgy circumstances. It was, I think it was after Britain conquered, I think it was the Punjab or something. It was part of the spoils of war that ended up coming back to the UK.
2: Is spores of war play on, do you think? Is it acceptable? If you if you win a war, is it play on during that war to just be like, Yeah, I'm taking these paintings?
1: Yeah, well, paintings are good. If you go to the Duke of Wellington's house in London, Apsley House, number one London, a lot of those paintings are from the Spanish Royal Collection. He rescued them in a battle.
2: Rescued.
1: Rescued. Rescued them. Yeah, Yeah. exactly, exactly. And then he said, If you ever want them back, let me know and the Spanish drone was like, Oh feel free to keep them, mate.
2: Uh, Just uh, whilst we're talking about Egypt and the Egyptians and Tutankhamun is labeled as the most important historical discovery in the history of history. And I go, why? He was a 19 year old mummy with, I mean, he wasn't a mummy at the time. He was a 19 year old and then he became a mummy. (laughs) Um, He was a 19 year old king who was just buried with loads of gold and shit why was that so
1: important well it's because it was so complete when they found it it was amazing you know the the idea that you find a egyptian royal burial in the valley of the kings hadn't all been nicked and stripped out and they're, like they had actually contrary to what people think there had been a little tiny bit of tomb robbing there but they'd left everything good behind and yeah just it was the completeness the collection all the object his underpants are in there have um, they lasted well it's it's all very very dry very dry down there. All I get there, through, I it?
0: get through. you know, a pair will last me a year, tops.
1: Yeah, yeah but he wasn't wearing them quite as hard as you're wearing them. <laughs> you, 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 you know, your pants get a lot of use. That is true. Whereas these were folded up neatly in his, his royal box ready for his afterlife, right? Just never put them on.
2: I just can't get my head around why you'd bury all this really expensive and or useful stuff with someone who's dead for the afterlife, which they had no proof of actually existing. It it just baffles me. Like that tomb apparently had five and a half thousand objects in it. And you're going, why the fuck have you buried a dead man with five and a half thousand objects to do nothing with, apart from to discover hundreds of
1: years later? It's astonishing, isn't it? I agree. It's completely astonishing, which is why later in the Egyptian dynasties they realised this. And lots of pharaohs would just go and asset strip their predecessors' tombs. But for whatever reason, possibly because of like a landslide, Tutankhamun's got lost. But also bear in mind, dude, it's one of the smaller tombs. Can you imagine what those other ones were like? There are like multiple chambers. Those other tombs are the bigger... I mean, that's why they got noticed. Like Ramesses and some of those big pharaohs that you've had... They would have had palaces, palaces in there. The stuff they must have had in those tombs. Unbelievable. What a waste. Well, and the terracotta warriors in China, 200... I won't say BC, so I'll just say 2,200 <laughs> years ago. Uh, they were all, they were never designed to be seen. You've seen those terracotta warriors in those pits... They were tunnels. They were not meant to be open air. So they and they were inserted in there all brightly colored. No one was ever supposed to see them. This has made me realize
2: that history isn't about learning from the past. No, 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 no. No, it's not. It's not. It's just about filling your time either down the pub or in a van or in a attic with a duvet. Just talking bollocks, filling time about different subjects, and it is. Oh, I just, I'm just getting really excited. I just want to keep. To- I just want to keep talking about stuff. Oh, thanks, man. I, especially, thanks, I-, I want to talk
1: about the worst children's jobs in history. Children's jobs. Oh yeah. my god! Well, there's lots, mate. To be honest, there's uh, there's a there's a mine in uh, in North Wales called the Great Orm Head, and it's a Bronze Age mine. There's a very rich seam of copper, I think it is. It was like this sort of. It was like the Saudi Arabia of the days. So copper in the Bronze Age, you need copper to make bronze. So these bits of this copper have been found all over Europe. It was exporting. It was like this mega export place. And anyway, these seams of copper were so small they had to give kids digging them out. So you could no. get these little antlers, yeah. And you can, well, I've been, to, you can go there until today. But like they're so narrow, these little seams. You can imagine these kids with these little antler horns are digging out this copper. Little collapses taking place. I mean, it's just grim, man. Uh, and then, um, yeah, kids on board HMS Victory, big Nelson's flagship, you know, carrying gunpowder around just as people were getting blown apart in front of them. You know, supersonic splinters of wood screaming through the air, sharp, killing them. I mean, it's brutal, man. Uh, you know, the main thing for Mister. I get is I feel very lucky to be alive today, to be honest, you know, even with COVID. But, you know, the past was pretty grim, man. We buried half our own kids. Now, how do you just... There's no, that's part of everyday life is you have six kids and three of them just die. Straight away. I mean, I just get, that's, and then you'll be glad if one or two of them get past the age of 20. It's just grim. to think I lot
0: complain about a couple of lessons of homeschooling. Unbelievable. un believable
2: So this is a quiz for you both to see if you can guess what happened on this very day that we're recording on these different years in the past. Uh, can you take a wild stab at uh, what happened on this day in 1634? in somewhere in eastern europe
1: oh gosh the old uh, 30 years war was raging in central europe so it would have been good no i don't i don't i can't take a stab just tell me tell me what it is it was the battle of smolensk
2: and it was king Władysław the <laughs> fourth of poland
1: beating the russians yeah. In, um, in Ukraine, that's right. That's why the Russians get a bit little tetchy about Ukraine to this day. Really? Because it's quite. Yeah, because that's why they go, look, lads, it's all very well. We, we remember our history. Well, you're all saying, I'll let Ukraine do what they like. Basically, for most of Russian history, there's been a load of Germans and Poles rampaging around the Ukraine, using it as a place to attack into Russia from. So They're like, we're a bit sensitive about Ukraine, all right? I had no idea
2: I was going to get that reaction from uh, King law. What's his name again, Joe? What's his name? King, King- Walidislaw.
0: Wole- Wole- it's a W, and then it's Lady Slaw And he was the fourth, so it's. I mean, it's clear he's got that name's gone down quite well.
1: Oh, it's a com very common name. It's a very common name. Yeah. Um.
2: Nineteen oh six. Any guesses? Yeah,
1: Nineteen yeah. oh six. Uh,
2: no. Whereabouts? Whereabouts? Uh, I think it's England or America again. <laughs> It was it was it was uh, Will Keith Kellogg and someone else founded the Battle Creek Toasted Corn Flake Company, which oh, they right, then yes. shortened to Kellogg's later on.
1: Right, and apparently they were very religious and they wanted plain food so people wouldn't masturbate.
0: <laughs> I've heard that that basically Kellogg's come around because they want to stop people wanking.
1: Yeah, because they thought rich food might give everyone the horn.
2: I've no idea how this random quiz is getting me these answers and I like it a lot. 1914. American. This is American. It was Charlotte May Pierstorff. Charlotte May Pierstorff. Anyone recognise that name? She was four years old and she was the first child in the post to be posted 73 miles to her grandparents. What? Um, They
1: posted a child?
2: Yeah, it it was common back then. Okay, 1945.
1: No, I think I, is it the Battle of Iwo Jima? Oh, now
2: that's the first one you've got. Yes, it is yeah, the the US sense. Fifth Fleet launches the invasion of Iwo Jima yeah. versus the I Japanese mean, with thirty thousand US Marines.
1: You didn't want to be there, mate. You didn't want to be in that beach.
2: Oh god, fuck! That was dark. Then okay, uh, I'm, I'm going to rattle through these. 1964, the Beatles, the Beatles played the Show. How the, the fuck show? do you know that? How do you oh, know yes. that? No, yes. that's no. This is bollocks. Have you got a camera in it? You don't know the actual answer, but the fact that you've got the Beatles is you're getting a gold star. In February 1964, the UK flies half a ton of Beatles wigs to the US.
0: There you go. So Beatlemania is in full effect.
2: Dan, you have been absolutely brilliant. I've really, really enjoyed learning about historical events with someone who knows a lot about historical events and you, Tom, obviously. Um, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I've really enjoyed listening to your podcast in the lead up to this, trying to do a little bit of research behind it all. And I don't know how you find time to make a new episode every day. Well, I guess I do because we're in lockdown. There's
1: plenty of good historians out there. Yeah, exactly, lockdown. <laughs> how much else going on, man?
2: Dan, thank you so much for coming on, mate. Um, I've really, really enjoyed myself. Cheers,
1: Joe. Cheers, Tom.
0: Well, Joe, that was enjoyable, wasn't it? That was Dan Snow. That was his story, Joe. That was Dan Snow and his story, his history.
2: Ah, uh, yeah.
0: it's a bad joke. It's a
2: bad joke, but it works. And I did thoroughly enjoy it. Yeah, he spoke really passionately about history, which took me back to being a kid and wanting a teacher that spoke as passionately as he did about history.
0: I also have to say, of the three of us, Dan Snow had the best bone structure by a considerable distance, if there were to be an alien invasion of Earth, I would send him to meet the aliens, not only because I think he'd give them some good background chat on what's been happening before they arrived, but also he just appeared to be a better sort of human species to send to the front line than possibly you and me.
2: He looked fantastic, and I also liked that he, he lived up to the stereotype of recording his uh, Zoom podcast with us in an office that had bookshelves just full of history books with one of those lamps i think it was one of those lamps with a green shade classic you know the glass the classic yeah no i really really enjoyed that
0: well if you enjoyed that as much as me and joe and you want to support the show search for joe marler show on patreon and sign yourself up if you want another podcast to listen to maybe search for we didn't start the fire now this is a history podcast so if you like dan snow you'll hopefully enjoy this one too it's the story of the second half of the 20th century, so basically all the reasons why the world is like it is today, all based on the lyrics of the number one smash hit for Billy Joel. Search for We Didn't Start the Fire in your podcast app.
2: We didn't start the fire. I'll... Try and give that a listen because I don't actually know the lyrics. Just for the lyrics.
0: Harry Truman, Doris Day, Red Chana Johnny Ray, South Pacific, Walter Winchell, Jolte, Maggie, yo.
2: It's your first verse right there. Stop showing off. <laughs> Stop showing off. Who's
0: on our next episode, please, Thomas? Joe, our next episode is an antisocial behaviour officer. A behaviour officer who is massively antisocial and as a result won't say anything to us unless it's fuck you. Wonderful. Crowd Network. A place where you belong. Sports Social Podcast Network.